Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are going to be talking about secularism. As many of you will know, secularism is a dominant force in terms of thinking, how think people think about the relationship of church and state, personal ethics, all kinds of things. And we want to address that issue today to help you understand it. So, Aaron, can you help us understand why this topic and now? Well, Chris, I'm a pastor, and as I observe Christians raising their children, and you hear parents say things like, I don't want to force my kids to be Christians. I want them to make their own decision. As we see parents comfortable sending their kids to secular school, as we see Christians sometimes speaking positively or thinking positively of secularism as a morally neutral playground where everyone can kind of come out and dialogue and get along. I'm concerned about that. Some would suggest that it's the best option for Canada to be secular if we want a country that respects all religions and values things like freedom of expression and personal liberty, that secularism is the best worldview for a state like Canada or the US because that's where Christianity thrives. It's not encumbered by coercion and manipulation. But I think those are lies, and I want to expose that the fact that secularism is a small r religion, it is a religious worldview, it's an enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it must be exposed as the dysfunctional and I would say unlivable worldview that it actually is. Good. Okay, so to get us started, uh, this is going to be helpful, I think, to just start with a definition. What is secularism? Well, fundamentally, secularism claims to be committed to a separation of religion from authority, from religion from civil government is usually where people spend the majority of their time thinking about the secular ideal. So we live in Canada, we live in the U.S. In Canada, we like to talk about being a secular nation, and we don't want the government to be an ecclesiocracy. We don't want it to be governed by a particular denomination, the Catholic Church, the Reformed Church, the Anglican Church. So there's this idea of secularism that comes into play where we say, hey, we want we want our government to be unencumbered by religion. We want it to be objective, so to mm. speak. Now, secularism doesn't just show itself. It's not just a philosophy that's applied to the relationship between the government and the citizens. You also see it in family life. You'll hear people talk about the secular family, where there's no God. We don't affirm a particular God. We allow our kids to figure it out for themselves. They can sort of explore all the different ideologies and religions and make a choice of their own free and unencumbered will. That's the idea that we see in the secular family model. Unfortunately, that has affected, maybe a better word would be infected, because I think it's a disease, many Christians that are so concerned about coercing their kids into Christianity that they sort of let their kids just make their own decisions and do whatever they want and figure it out along the way. And the basis, that the base lie, the root lie in secularism is that it is spiritually neutral. And that is what I really think we need to expose 
It claims to be religiously neutral when it's applied to statecraft. It claims to be religiously neutral when it uh, when it is applied to child rearing. But the reality is, while it calls upon all religions to respect their differences and to commit themselves to neutrality, the proponents of secularism have a worldview attached. They have a law code. Many of them are atheists, the formal secularists. They also propose and adhere to an epistemology, a way of knowing grounded exclusively in human reasoning. This is why you hear all the time, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. That's an epistemological claim. That's a claim that says human beings in in and of themselves through their own reasoning skills, the formulas, the research that we've done can arrive at comprehensive truth. And that claim is an absolute violation of the Orthodox Christian belief that God has revealed himself to us through the Word of God, that the Word of God is absolutely true. We do believe in special divine revelation. Human reasoning, we're not opposed to human reasoning, but human reasoning is in and of itself inadequate to answer life's big questions and to arrive at ultimate truth. Hmm. So based on that, why, like, why do you think it's so attractive to Christians that they want to champion it? I know you've mentioned to me in the past, knowing even Christian professors that see secularism as the best way to kind of level the playing field. It's the best, best environment, the most ideal in one sense for uh, the Christian faith to be able to flourish. So why, why do people champion this? Well, there's several reasons I think why secularism is attractive. It sounds welcoming. This, this image of a big playing field where everyone's welcome to come out and play regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their ideologies. I mean, it almost sounds kind of Christian. It's welcoming, it's inviting, it's, it's loving. It's a, perhaps a form of hospitality to allow everyone to come out and, and have a say in this big secular playground. I think there's also the reality that in the past we've seen religious authorities who've engaged, who've tried to take over the state or take over governments, uh, go a little too far, abuse their authorities, blur the lines between Christ's church and the civil government. We also tend to live in a culture where from the time we're tiny little kids in school, that we, we hear terms like tolerance and inclusivity and autonomy as virtuous terms, even though they're actually flawed and they're not livable. You, you can't truly be autonomous. Mm -hmm. you, you can't truly be inclusive. You can't truly be tolerant of everything. It's not even possible to live that way. But we hear that language, tolerance, inclusivity, autonomy, these are virtuous, principles that are foisted upon us in the time we're very young, and secularism seems to champion those things. We also, as Christians, so just thinking of it from a Christian perspective, we're opposed to Christianity by coercion. So we don't come up to someone and bend their arm up behind their back and say, trust in Jesus or else. And if we don't think carefully about the fact that it's impossible to live without a worldview, we might easily fall into the trap of believing that it's possible to sort of be tolerant and neutral on these things and 
you know, God forbid if God's laws are consulted in the formation of the criminal code, that sounds kind of coercive. It almost sounds like the antithesis to the gospel. We also, I, I think there's some confusion in people's minds between a theocratic state and the kind of governance model that I think makes most sense from a Christian perspective. So in a theocratic state, again, there's what you have is a religious body generally, or the head of a religious body overseeing all matters of civil government. So there's a blurring of the spheres there, as I mentioned earlier, between, for instance, in the Middle East, in, in the Islamic context, there's a blurring of distinction between Islam and the civil government. Mm. So that in effect, those that are running the mosques are also running the state, and I'm not in favor of that. Mm -hmm. So people might think, look, from a pragmatic perspective, we don't want a theocracy or an ecclesiocracy, and pragmatically, it's a diverse culture, so why not create sort of a live and let live environment? And secularism advertises itself as the solution to that. Secularism advertises itself as spiritually neutral. Another thing that comes to mind is that many people perceive of the gospel, largely because of, you know, you know I'm thankful for men like Billy Graham that led many people to Christ, but largely that Billy Graham evangelism model that would say the gospel really is about being born again, it's about getting to heaven, it's about eternal life. We don't really care about the planet, we don't care about the world around us, it's just about this world is just our home, we're just passing through. If the gospel is only concerned about eternal life, it's so easy to just fall into a who cares mindset. Mm -hmm. And I've been guilty of that in the past as well. Who cares what's going on in the world around us? It's all going to hell in a handbasket. Who cares? Let's just get people saved, make sure they're ready to evacuate the planet. No concern for law. You know, we think about laws in the past that I think every Christian would rightly champion. When slavery was abolished in the United States, it doesn't mean that everybody became a Christian the day after, but in and of itself, that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I think people acknowledge that. But for some reason in the modern world, Christians have separated the gospel from real life. It's all about heaven. It's all about eternal life. God's kingly purposes have nothing to do with life in the current uh, environment. And so why bother trying to advocate for God's laws in culture? Let's, again, create a spiritually neutral playing ground. And finally, Chris, I would say that because we're so used to secularism, at times it's hard to even fathom or imagine what a state properly ordered, governed by God's eternal laws would even look like. Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine how that would even happen or what that would look like. And it raises tons and tons of questions about, for example, what's the difference between an individual sin? So for example, in the area of sexual ethics, a lot of people are like, well, does this mean you're gonna, you know, you're gonna stone everyone that commits adulterous acts or looks at pornography or has a dirty thought? Like, answer the question. And there's a failure to distinguish between the sins that a person commits against their own body. You know, the Bible talks about sexual immorality that's committed against your own body. And the fact that certain sexual sins have victims attached to them. Mm -hmm. And when when sins have victims attached to them, 
then there needs to be laws in place to thwart or hinder or reduce that behavior. So that's that's a little sidebar comment, but it, it gets your mind thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Like how is it even possible to have a civil government, to have a country that actually acknowledges as you know, for the most part, we once did, not not perfectly, but for the most part, we once did God's laws as the basis for a properly ordered state. Mm-hmm. An interesting uh, tidbit of news, I know I mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago, that some countries that are not Christian, a Muslim country like Indonesia, has made illegal sex outside of marriage, which yeah, is I heard that. fascinating to think how that's going to actually work in, in real time. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, there are places putting that kind of thing in place, well, right? Well, seculars would just gasp at that. But in fact, that will promote good things. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know about the Indonesian context because there's probably a lot of corruption there or whatnot. But to, to in law say there's certain sexual practices you cannot do. They may spread disease. They're destructive. They're not victimless is, uh, is a good thing. By the way, just as a sidebar, I think maybe 20, 30 years ago when we started to hear a lot more of a push for accepting all forms of sexual deviancy, a lot of Christians just said, you know what, who cares what people does in their, do in their own bedrooms? Mm-hmm. Until, unless they come to faith in Jesus Christ, does it really matter? Does it really matter if a person's viewing pornography or going to the strip club or having sex with whoever they want? They're going to hell anyway. So, so what difference does it make? Hmm. Well, now it's a different story because the same people that wanted those rights recognized publicly, I would say not privately, but publicly wanted these rights recognized and acknowledged. They basically wanted to hear that their moral decisions were right, mm-hmm. are now teaching in our schools, are now putting books in our libraries, are now dancing before our children are now foisting their agenda upon the next generation. Mm-hmm. And smart people knew that's where it was headed, but those that were blind to the truth thought it was just people wanting individual rights, but that's not true. And your, your beliefs and your morals inevitably will shape a worldview, a culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that secularism is a small R religion. Um, that might sound kind of odd to somebody who's claiming, you know, secularism is trying to get away from religion. So why do you call it that? Well, if you think of religion, I was doing a little research. If you, if you research like what is a religion, there's, there's a lot of different definitions out there. But fundamentally, a, a religion affirms, among other things, some sort of a morally authoritative force, a god, a pantheon of gods, a human being perhaps, Mm. uh, nature itself, a religion affirms some sort of morally authoritative divinity of sorts. It also will have some sort of a law code generally written down that spells out its rituals right through to its morality that says this is right and this is wrong, this is how you should behave or not behave. And it defines reality in a collective sense too. It, It It tells people collectively, this is how we're supposed to act as adherents of a particular quote unquote religion. And historically, 
we would have said, okay, the 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 wor- we talked about world religions. We got Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Judaism and Christianity. The the world religions, Taoism. But in the modern context, that word has been stretched out to mean a lot of different things. I'll give you an example of this. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. has a act. It's called the the Title Seven Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And it basically protects people from religious discrimination at work, and it talks there about religion as being a sincerely held belief. I know when when we were um, when some people were wanting to submit religious exemptions against vax mandates, that language would often appear in letters and in correspondence. Is it a sincerely held belief? Mm-hmm. And when you submit a letter, you kind of have to prove it's a sincerely held belief, notwithstanding whether your beliefs are correct or incorrect, it just needs to be sincerely held. So now that belief, that religion, so to speak, has been boiled down to a matter of motive mm-hmm. or sincerity, mm-hmm. not anything factual. But anyway, in this bill, they um, th- they they define a religion. So let's say someone's claiming religious discrimination. It's like, well, what is religion then? So they say it has to it has to be a sincerely held belief about, for example, ultimate ideas, ultimate ideas as religious beliefs. But interestingly and oddly, they then exclude your views on social issues or economic issues as religious beliefs, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I would argue your views on economics, for example, are very much tied to your religious beliefs. Because the Bible has a lot to say about economics, about working and laziness and responsibility to your family. Right, right out of the in the opening gates of the Bible, right? We have this notion of working six days and resting on the seventh, which God ultimately modeled in creation itself. But I want to read a, an excerpt out of this Civil Rights Act of 1964. It says, quote, religious observances or practices include, for example, attending religious services, praying, wearing religious garb or symbols, displaying religious objects, adhering to certain dietary rules, proselytizing or other forms of religious expression, or refraining from certain activities. Whether a practice is religious depends on the employee's motivation. The same practice might be engaged in by one person for religious reasons and by another person for purely secular reasons, i.e. dietary restrictions, tattoos, etc. end of quote. So you'll notice there that religion in the modern world, as demonstrated in this act, has been boiled down to pretty much whatever you want it to mean, as long as you truly believe it. Hmm. So now it's about motivations or sincerely held beliefs. It's not about anything objective. It's not about anything that's true or that you believe to be true. It's very much of an an individualistic way of defining your religious beliefs. What's act, that individualism, that, that the idea, think about this, the idea that an individual determines what their religious beliefs are or are not is actually an idea from secularism, not from, for example, Christianity not from Islam, not from Judaism, because those religions in and of themselves appear appeal to a divine force 
or series of forces, we believe in the true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth, I don't get to decide what salvation is or what my eschatology is or what my definitions of the church is. I must go back to the word of God, the word of God, the word of God to anchor my beliefs in them. But in the modern realm, it's it's almost like they're even redefining the nature of Christianity. And we'll hear people when they're opponents of Christianity say things to Christians like, well, that's just what you believe. I, I believe something different. It's almost like they're putting a w- words in your mouth mm-hmm. or they're forcing you to acknowledge, contrary to the essence of your own faith, that your religion has just been concocted in your own imagination or your mm-hmm. own your own heart. Nevertheless, what I want to show is that even secularism, even your beliefs about diet and tattoos are actually connected in some way to uh, religious beliefs. So secularism, while it's not an organized religion per se, has all the earmarks, all the earmarks of a true religious worldview or religious system. Mm-hmm. What And maybe we could walk through some of those earmarks that would be interesting, like what is breaking it down a bit more, how religious it is. Well, in Christianity, in the opening chapters of our Bible, it talks about man being made in the image and likeness of God, that we are in the imago dei, that we have dominion over creation itself, over the physical order as appointees of God. And interestingly, this is where secularism gets weird. On one hand, they they affirm that. So for example, in human law, in a secular country like Canada, supposedly a secular country, they distinguish between laws for people and laws for animals. So I can't go kill my neighbor and eat him, but I could kill a deer and eat it, or I could kill a hog and eat it. So there's there's a different laws that apply. When we kill a human, that's murder. When we kill an animal, that's providing for your family. So there's different laws that are attached to men and animals. There's some innate, now it's unfounded. There's no ultimate moral authoritative force behind it. In secularism, there's an acknowledgement that humanity has some superiority over the animal world. But where it gets weird is we're seeing even that start to erode. Mm -hmm. So you may have heard that in 2021, the Magpie River in the province of Quebec was legally granted the status of personhood. Think about that, to protect it. So this is an inanimate object, a river. I mean, what is a river? It's basically a groove in the ground with water flowing out of it. It's not even like a stationary object. Mm-hmm. And yet that has been granted the, the status of personhood. And the attempt there was to recognize the rights of nature. So we are seeing, even in secularism, the elevation of man over animal or man over the rest of what we would call creation breaking down as well. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it, it bestows moral authority on an ultimate authority. You, you just can't get around it. You cannot get around it. You can toss God out, but someone has to take his place. Mm-hmm. So when you toss God out, and in secularism, man is replaced as the ulti- ultimate arbiter for right and wrong, functionally, man or people kind, as our prime minister likes to say, or a legislative body becomes 
the de facto gods or god of the state. They don't, they're not going to use that language. This is why it's not a formal religion, but it's a small r religion. They, they must become the ultimate determiners of what's morally right and wrong. So for let me give you some examples of this. They decide who lives or dies. So our government decides it's okay to kill your children in utero. It's okay to assist someone through medically assistance, assisted suicide to, uh, to end their lives. They, they redefined marriage several years ago. In 2005, I think it was in our own province, they decided marriage is kind of what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. It can be multiple persons, men to men, women to women. That's a, that's a moral decision. That's not a civil decision. That's a moral decision. They decide what kids can be taught. They, they've decided what you can say in a counseling session if you're a therapist and you're with someone that's struggling with what they would call gender identity or homosexuality. They decide you can't, you can't try to convert them to your worldview. They even have hate laws. They define, and by the way, contrary to what God's word often defines, what being hateful and what being loving is. They have a law code. Let me give you some examples of this. Most most of our listeners will be familiar with these bills. They've probably read them or studied them a little bit or heard heard us speak about them. But I want to use them as illustrations at this point. So when we think of law, we often think, oh, that's neutral. So speeding laws, they decide you can go 80 in an 80 zone and 90 in a 90 zone and 100 in a 100 zone. Those, those are kind of neutral. Um, whether you need to have a sticker on your license plate or not or how you register cars. Those are sort of morally neutral decisions. Well, one could argue that there are morally neutral laws, I suppose, but the there are some laws out there that are just overtly moral or more better said from our view, immoral. Let me give you a few examples. So the MAID bill, the Medical Assistance in Dying, Where this bill, we we often harp on the fact that this bill is granting the state the the authority to put people to death when they ask for it. But there's another lie in the whole discussion around medical assistance and dying that needs to be exposed, and that is the authority of the person wishing to die. See, from a Christian perspective— I don't have the authority to take my own life. Mm-hmm. It's self-murder. We often hear Christians soft-pedaling suicide, and obviously it's, it's, it's tragic. But suicide is self-murder. It's a breach of authority. It's the final breach of authority. Mm-hmm. You don't have the authority granted to you by God to take your own life. You just don't have that authority. But in the maid bill, it says, quote, give informed consent to receive maid, meaning that the person has consented to receiving made after they have received all information needed to make this decision, end quote. So the bill is assuming, this is a religious claim, the bill is assuming that Chris Yeoman or Aaron Rock have the authority to consent to our own deaths, and we just don't. So it's fundamentally a law on that level that's opposed to the things of God, and it's a religious law. And then we have the conversion therapy bill, which most people know about, and it says there, quote, so first of all, speaking of the conversion therapy bill, it's this whole idea that you can't counsel people who are um, wanting to have a conversation about converting, which is a weird word, from, let's say, homosexuality to heterosexuality. Okay, 
So the law is there, but listen to the, the premise of the law. One of the premises of the law, and this is the quote I want to read, quote, these include myths and stereotypes that the sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression of LGBTQ to people are undesirable conditions that can or should be changed, end quote. That's a, that's a moral claim. It's, a, it's a, on two levels. It, it declares those religions, those worldviews even, that would say, if you're practicing A, it should be changed to B mm-hmm. as a myth, and then it's denying the ought. It's denying the law, in particular the law of God. So that's, a, that's not religiously neutral. It, it, there's no way that a person can support that as a religiously neutral bill. And then a little closer to home in Ontario here, our province, the, in the Ontario Marriage Act, when you're solemnizing a marriage, you have to include one of two or three different statements. And here's one of the statements that they want you to include, and they use the um, the fill-ins EF or AB or CD for the name of the person. So the, in that it says, this is, what you, this is what you're supposed to say, quote, I, EF, by virtue of the powers vested in me by the Marriage Act, do hereby pronounce you AB and CD to be married. So you see the moral authoritative voice there? That what their claim is, is that the Marriage Act is what gives a human being the powers to declare these two men married, or these two women married, or even this man and woman married, or these three men married, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So it it undermines the, the authority of God's word, and it, it replaces it with a new law code, which is innately religious. These are moral claims that they're making. That's incredible to think how commonplace that is. I'm just thinking, I've heard that said dozens of times and never thought uh, about that fact. Yeah, that's that's replacing, where's the authority for marriage come from? Not from the state, it's from God. So yeah, we're shaping worldview even in the marriages that exactly. are happening, right? And exactly. so it is clearly religious. Yeah. I mean, you have Christian people that think they're legitimately married before God because the Marriage Act of Ontario, some officiant said you're married. They, mm-hmm. they actually believe that the state has the authority to decide what marriage is. Mm-hmm. And what we need to remind people of is you can have a marriage license and actually not be married in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Now, if we don't believe that, then literally it's a complete free-for-all. Right. Now, I think there's a vested, there's a place for the state to have a vested interest in being involved in recognizing true legitimate marriages. But we've just given that authority to the state. And mm-hmm. look what the state does with it. Yep. It's like, Redefines it. They just redefine it, anything you want, because they're constantly trying to appeal to the broadest common denominator, Mm -hmm. and it's destructive. Uh, Fourthly, secularism, just again, carrying on this conversation of showing its religious nature, it judges what's considered good and evil. So not only does it say you can't, quote unquote, convert someone, and that it's, it's mythological to suggest, for example, that heterosexuality is creational, but it punishes you if you disagree. That's not that's not inclusive. That's not tolerant. Literally, they're punishing you for your words. Mm-hmm. 
And then we we know that there's an expectation of obedience. So religions, we expect certain behaviors of our adherents. And we don't apologize for that. In Christianity, we, we discipline our people if they violate the word of God, if they, they live with unconfessed sin. That's part of our responsibility. And that's true in all religions. There's a certain discipline, a certain enforcement mechanism when you're an adherent of that quote unquote religion. There's enforcement mechanisms in place. But secularism says, oh no, we're not a religion. Well, yeah, you are, because you create these moral codes and then you penalize and punish anyone who disagrees. Yep. So again, a counselor can't counsel now in the area of gender ideology. They start to relabel everything as hate speech. So check this out. In section 319 of Canada's criminal code, Here's how far it goes. They're so afraid of words. Now, we're, we're opposed to physical acts of violence and intimidation, this sort of thing. But these ideologies that are battling back and forth for dominance in our culture, it, fundamentally, it's about words being exchanged. But secularists are so terrified of the power of words that they're willing to penalize you and assume motive mm -hmm. for the words that you state. It says, quote, everyone who, by communicating statements in any public place, incites hatred against any identifiable group where such incitement is likely to lead to a breach of the peace is guilty of an, indi an indictable offense and is liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding two years or an offense punishable on summary conviction, end quote. Well, I mean, I, I get it. If someone's like, hey, let's go kill a particular ethnic group. Let, let's Everyone should go over there and kill these people. Well, I understand that there needs to be some laws in place to stop that from happening. But what we're seeing is, I mean, there might be, there might be places where that happens and this law is helpful. But nowadays, if you say, actually, put your hand up and say, actually, that sexual act is a sin. That's hate. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're we're an identifiable group. We're almost like an ethnic group. And we're going to send you to jail to penalize you. Now, what, what secularists don't seem to understand is that they're picking the fight, really. Now, this can be a good thing because I think the church has been, the church hasn't been very proactive in promoting righteousness and culture. We tend to keep it within the confines of our churches. But they're picking a fight that they actually cannot win because religious views, and especially from our perspective, Christian views, which are wrought, wrought by the spirit of God in our lives, we don't succumb to threats. Like it may be uncomfortable, but you, you're not gonna silence the true church by penalizing it. Mm -hmm. You're just gonna make martyrs of people and you're going to swell our numbers. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a tactic I don't even want them to be aware of. <laughs> yeah. But that's a reality. Like I, I am not going to back down on declaring truth from God's word, no matter what the consequences are. It doesn't mean that I'm looking for consequences, because there, there would be an, if I was penalized for it, that's unjust. But Paul went to prison several times for his faith, and other believers were martyred for their faith. So the secularists would maybe do do themselves a favor by studying history because the true church isn't going to back down. Mm -hmm. There those that are the corporate church will. The um 
aspects of the visible church will, but the invisible church isn't going to to uh, to back down. Mm-hmm. And then a, a sixth aspect would be every religion has an origin story, and the origin story for secularism is now Darwinian evolution. So this is very common, right? In our quote unquote public secular anything goes schools, you're not allowed to teach theistic evolution. You're not allowed to teach theism. I'm not a proponent of theistic evolution, by the way, but you wouldn't be able to teach that. You wouldn't be able to teach the the creation story, um, the creation accounts of scripture. You wouldn't be able to teach, I would assume, the Islamic view or whatever. The only acceptable Mm -hmm. origin story allowed in our quote-unquote science classrooms is Darwinian evolution, which didn't even exist before a couple hundred years ago. But this is... This is a, a religious claim that we see Dar- Darwinianism. It's a, a theory, completely unproven theory, of human origins. It hasn't been observed. It's it's all theoretical, but it's people have been told this so many times. That even a lot of Christians say, "Well, it's got to be must be true." Yeah. Like somehow I got to synthesize Darwinianism with the Word of God, right. and. I, I suspect, just as a sidebar, I suspect that if secularists or godless people came up with another theory that excluded God but was more more believable than Darwinianism, it, Darwinianism would go the way of the dodo bird. But it's it's like, I, I don't believe in God, so I have to be a Darwinian. Yeah. And Darwinianism, it, it's the true myth. Talk about a myth. It's the true myth. And it... It also dehumanizes us. We literally are ontologically on on par with the aardvark. So it doesn't even make sense that human human laws would favor a, a woman over an aardvark because at its basis, there's no ontological difference. So there's a lot of um, selectivity there and arbitrariness when it comes to determining when, when it comes to being a Darwinian but favoring the quote unquote human species over other species. Uh, seventh religion as a community structure and in secularism, this is what's interesting. in secularism, there's a radical emphasis on individualism. Mm-hmm. And individualism, excludes collectivism. Individualism excludes concern for the community around you. It's all about you, your rights. This is why we have people that are pro-abortionists that know right well from a scientific perspective and on the level of conscience, they know right well that an unborn child in a mother's womb is a distinct human being. There's no question about it. But somehow, somehow are so individualistic they convince themselves that you can execute that child. And they say, well, my body, my choice. Yeah, but it's not your body. Mm-hmm. But my body, my choice. Yeah, but it's not your body. You know it's not your body. Mm-hmm. My body wasn't at one point my mom's body. From conception, it was a different body. Within her body, she was stewarded it, stewarded me. And she had a responsibility to care for me, just like a parent does their birth child. Mm-hmm. up to an age where that child is capable of independence. We understand that in human order. Sometimes human beings are responsible for other human beings. In the womb, a mother's responsible for her child. We, we know it's a, 
a, a, a, a human being. But somehow in the, in the name of radical, radical individualism, we excuse it. I think in the US there was even a, a law, I think it was passed by their house, I think it was this week, protecting uh, children that were born alive as a result of abortion, they have to be taken to a hospital. And one of the Democrats stands up and he goes on this convoluted, nonsensical, foolish rant about, well, you know, there's other, meth other medical factors. I'm not opposed to this bill, or I'm opposed to this bill. Uh, you know, we got to consider this and consider that. It's like, dude, there's a child on the table that's been born. Like, what are you talking about? But so desperate to maintain his belief in radical individualism that he, he has nothing to say of substance. It's just nonsense spewing out of his mouth to try to defend his, his position. So the, the downfall of secularism is in its radical individuality. That is not sustainable. We see, we see that. It's like everybody wants the rest of the world to make their life work, and it's, it's not sustainable. Even economically, Chris, think about this. A portion of the population goes to work and they get to vote for their elected officials. And then a portion of the population doesn't work and refuses to work, but demands that if those elected officials want their vote, they have to take money from people who are working and give it to them. Mm -hmm. And somehow even some Christians frame that up as some sort of a benevolent act. It's state-sanctioned theft. A man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. We're not talking about people who are legitimately disabled. But we have able-bodied individuals attending soup kitchens, eating other people's soup all the time, and somehow that's considered acceptable. People that refuse to work. I saw some guy on Facebook. You know, he he doesn't work. He's a lazy bum, and his 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 time is spent video gaming, smoking or eating. I don't know what you do with this stuff. Um, cannabis buds. I don't know, making brownies out of them for all I know. I've never tried this stuff and I won't. Drinking energy drinks and chugging down alcohol. This is his life. Somebody's paying for that. Mm. And that's considered acceptable. So that's, that's the end result. So radical individualism, the point I want to make there is radical individualism affects the economy. And that's the brainchild of secularism. It's not the brainchild of Christianity. We're not radical individualists. This is why I've said over and over again, if you're a Christian, you're like, I'm a radical libertarian, then you're not thinking Christianly. Because mm -hmm. libertarianism is not the solution to tyranny. It's just a, it's just it's an individual claiming absolute authority over the state claiming absolute authority. Yep. And then finally, and maybe I've sort of touched on this already, secularism studies the nature of reality. And we study the nature of reality as Christians. Obviously, Eastern, the Eastern religions have a different view of reality and time. But secularism studies the nature of reality. And because of their fundamental belief in Darwinian theory, they conclude that um, reality, if you think about this, maybe a little bit complex, hopefully not too much, Reality is exclusively knowable and definable, quantifiable, provable. I'm not even sure if this is a word, articulatable mm -hmm. by science. We're not opposed to science, but it's just one tool in the toolbox. If you want to study the 
structure of a cell, you use the tool of science to study the structure of a cell. But if you want to understand how to be saved from your sins, you're not going to find that in science. Mm -hmm. You find it in the revealed word of God. If you want to understand your true identity, if you want to define your sexual ethics, science isn't going to define those things for you. God's word is going to define those things for you. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's a religion with a small r or a religious worldview. Yeah, there's quite a few reasons there listed. So now in your eyes, when you think about secularism as a religion, you would say it's a failing religion. And why is that? Yeah, it's it's not livable. So you first of all, it's it's self-contradictory. So if you're assessing a worldview that's self-contradictory, you have a problematic worldview that needs to be corrected or discarded. Secularism claims so you first of all, you cannot be tolerant. You cannot be truly tolerant or inclusive. Let's just take those words and throw them out. I'm not tolerant of things that I can't be tolerant of. And I'm not inclusive of any view and every value. And nobody is. No, right. Nobody is truly inclusive. That's right. It's false advertising. We're inclusive. No, you're not. It's like we have the the, the trans and prides movement movements constantly to, talking about inclusivity. You're like the least inclusive people in the country right now. You have zero toleration for anybody that has a biblical viewpoint on human sexuality. You're not inclusive at all. And in fact, if you wanted to apply hate speech laws, if we actually had objective courts, Christians could file all kinds of lawsuits against people who hate them. Mm-hmm. I've been the victim of hate over and over and over again. But I don't I don't appeal to the the hammer of the criminal code to try to correct a sin like that in someone's life, yeah. a sinful motivation. Right. Nevertheless, you cannot be tolerant or inclusive. And their attempts to be tolerant and inclusive have led to an increasingly divided culture. Mm. I think Canada is more divided than the US and Britain. They're more, we're more divided than we've ever been, than we've ever been. You look at, look at how people speak on Twitter and Facebook, even how I communicate. The lines are drawn in the sand. We, we, this is why we call it a cultural war, not a cultural conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural war that we are waging. So you, you cannot tolerate, for example, secularism says we tolerate everybody. Well, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You, for example, you don't tolerate the exclusive views of another religion. It's not even possible to do that. So that's why it's a failing worldview. It also has a, priest, it has a priesthood, in this case. Ge- generally, I would say the priesthood of, the, um, of secularism would be... Um, the executive branch of government, um, to maybe to a lesser degree, the judicial branch, but the, the executive branch of government has a, has a lot of power over determining on behalf of the people what's right and wrong. You have the universities in their pockets. You have special interest groups, voting blocks in their pockets. And its priesthood has no ultimate law code to appeal to. So think about this. If you're truly a secularist, just ask a secularist this. Why is it okay to butcher a pig but not butcher a human being? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Well, because well, society decides it's not right. 
Yeah, but but why? What if what if you go to a society that says it's okay? Mm-hmm. What if you go to a cannibalistic culture two hundred years ago mm-hmm. in some deep dark jungle where one tribe wars against another tribe and they they take the bodies home and eat them? Is that right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Ask the question. Is that right or wrong? Yep. What is your ultimate law code? Well, well, well. It's they have to the the wheels start spinning in the dirt. They just dig themselves deeper and deeper. So what then, what motivates the making of laws? Vote grubbing, mm-hmm. appealing to special interest groups, what we call now virtue signaling. This is what happens when you have unprincipled people governing a country. Everything's about drama. Everything's about public image. Everything's about man-pleasing. Everything's about how you present yourself right down to the funky socks you wear. And, and you know what I'm talking about there. Mm-hmm. So it's all about image. And there's nothing principled about it. But you're, you're essentially functioning as the, the, the high priest or priesthood of a particular group. There's no moral authority to appeal to. So this is where laws become arbitrary. And when you have arbitrary laws, it doesn't take very long before you have contradictory laws. Mm-hmm. So when it's arbitrary, it's, it's without any anchor. And when it's without an anchor, then it becomes contradictory. So this is why on one hand, you have these weird laws that say, uh, you, you can't counsel a person to set aside, let's say, a homosexual orientation, but you can go into a grade one class and counsel kids to pick their gender or to be a cat or a wolf or whatever, you're actually counseling in a certain direction, but you're not allowed to counsel in another direction. Mm-hmm. It's arbitrary and it's it's contradictory, yep. right? Um, a couple other things that come to mind, I, I mentioned it's hyper-individualistic and yet tyrannical at the same time because you can't, you can't function in a society and be a radical individualistic person. You're in a society. There's a collection of people around. You have to think about the common good. You have to think about how your actions affect other people. And the the states, I would say, we saw this in communism. Mm -hmm. So communism, when it was first marketed, it's not like a good idea. Okay, we got these overlords. They got their serfs. They have all these people that are being abused that have no way to claw their way forward in life. They're destined for generation after generation of poverty. So let's be communalistic. Let's let's level the playing field. Right. Let's make everything equal. So we're going to say, oh, Chris, this is your assigned occupation, and Aaron, this is your assigned occupation. And I don't care if you're a plumber and you're a physician. You're getting paid the same thing, and you're we're all going to live in the same kind of houses, mm-hmm. and it's going to have the same paint in the walls, and everything's going to be even, Stephen, and equal, right? It sounds great. It's It's essentially protecting the individual using a communal system, but who controls that? The party leaders. Mm -hmm. And the party leaders become tyrants. And the party leaders start to kill people who dissent from their viewpoints. I have a friend that pastors a church in Romania, and he was telling me that when he was a child, prior to the fall of the Iron Curtain, that they could have these house churches, depending on what was going on at that point in time, depending on the relationship between Western leaders and the guy that was running their country. Sometimes Christianity was more tolerated, other times it wasn't. 
and they would have these little house churches, but the pastors had to go to the police station every Monday and report on what they'd preached and who'd shown up. Well, by the time they got there on Monday, the police already knew because there was rats in the church Mm -hmm. and people already ratted them out, right? So talk about living in a state of fear. I can't even worship my God without reporting to the police what we preached on and who showed up. And when I get there, someone who I'm communing around the Lord's Supper with or singing hymns with is actually an agent of the state Mm -hmm. and reporting it to the state. So it it's a really weird dynamic that when you toss out God's laws, God's governing structures for how a state should function and how citizens should function within a state, you think you're doing everybody a favor. Well, this is gonna, you know, everybody kind of has their own opportunity now. There's always gonna be a tyrant or group of tyrants that control you. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the country of Canada. There's more tyranny and less freedom now than when, when we were a more theonomically grounded country. And, and yet people claim that the radical left, the radical liberals, the secularists are pro-freedom, pro-liberty, mm-hmm. and they're not. Mm-hmm. They want to control everything. They want you to be fat, lazy, and dumb and to worship them in their own way. So secularism fails because it, it crushes dissent, it crushes debate, and it crushes free expression. It crushes the human spirit. It falsely presents itself to be the key to liberty and freedom, but you actually become enslaved by it. And this is why it must be resisted at all costs. Which I think is probably where we should um, spend the remainder of our time is, okay, we just listening, I'm sure many people are saying, yes, okay, this is bad. We got to do something about it. What do we do? What's well, resist it. Don't promote it. Speak out against it for starters. Yeah. Like denounce the worldview expose its contradictions. It's almost worse than syncretism. Syncretism, is a, it, it's, a, it's failed, but it's a legitimate attempt to try to allow everybody an equal say or blend together all worldviews and religions. But sec, secularism, where secularism is failed even more is it, it claims to, be, to, to not have deference for anyone, but it has deference for itself and it has its own religious structures, and it's ha- it has its own religious systems. And it's it's very intolerant, and it's not inclusive in any objective or biblical sense of the word at all. Uh, and then I would say promote the, al- the, the, the alternative. Now, I hate, I don't even like the word alternative. In fact, I'm gonna withdraw it, so just pretend I never said okay. it. Because the word of God is not the alternative. The word of God is the truth. Right. All the false worldviews are the alternatives. I remember when we were kids, we used to say alternative Christian music, and I'd be like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not the alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, lyrics that glorify and honor God and speak, speak about the state of humanity in the world, those Christian lyrics are not the alternative, like we're some cheap knockoff. Right. They're the mainstay, not the, yeah, yeah not I the mean, second. That's the, the, we should consider ourselves like the, the true originals in that respect. Right. The word of when God spoke the world into existence, it was His word that yes. was to be honored. The first world words ever uttered were from God, mm-hmm. and we need to promote the Creator's laws. So the solution to a sick and perverted society, from a civil, so obviously we need people need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Chris, by the way, our country is so messed up. Apart from conversions and faith in Jesus Christ and a massive work of the Holy Spirit, there is no hope. 
Mm-hmm. And there's no hope for the U.S. And there's no hope for the U.K. And there's no hope for the Netherlands and Germany and the world. There's no hope. Mm-hmm. The battle we're fighting is so monumental. The disease, the cancer has spread so far. I mean, it, we are a terminal case. But there is hope and healing. Ultimately, there will be hope and healing at the renewal of all things when the fullness of God's kingdom is manifested. But in the here and now, we can hope for a revival. Mm-hmm. And we can hope for reformation. It's happened before. Mm-hmm. I'm not a give up and give in kind of guy. Uh, not because I'm I'm necessarily tenacious, but because I've seen. You look at the Word of God. Look at look at the cycles of good kings and bad kings in Israel, and how there were times in that nobody even knew where where a quote unquote Bible was, where the Torah had gone, mm-hmm. and it was like rediscovered in a you know in a rummage sale in the back of the the temple. So we need to choose this day whom we're going to serve. Mm-hmm for starters. And we need to promote the creatures creatures sorry the creator's laws upon the creatures. This is not a a theocratic model, but it's just a simple acknowledgement that every worldview and every state is religious. The only truly benevolent God is the true and living God. The laws of God are found within the word of God, and when we we dig into the word of God, we can figure out we can figure out, even civil leaders can figure out how to manage nation states. I'm not talking about perfection through through civil means, but w- why would we not be concerned with advocating for God's laws in our own country mm-hmm. if it if if for their own sake it protects people from, let's say, being put to death by the state through medical assistance and dying? Yeah. Or it allows people to actually benefit from the fruit of their labor, or it stops babies from being butchered in the womb. You know, south of the border, that when Roe v. Wade was overturned, can we not celebrate that? Mm-hmm. I celebrate that. Yeah, the sure. number of abortions have been reduced. Let's celebrate that. Yep. Um, and then we need to, in order to do that, we need to familiar familiarize ourselves with God's laws and support them and encourage them. And as much as we can, live by them. Are we going to fail? Yeah, I have lots of flaws. And I'm sure those that dislike me would like for me to now go on a long tangent <laughs> listing them all, right? I'll do that to for them. against no. me. Yeah, just, just email Chris. But um, I have lots of flaws. I don't present myself as a perfect person at all. But I do at least have a passion to try to align my character, my behavior, my views to God's word. And we just need more of that. Um in our culture and society, and we can incrementally bring about change. It starts in us, and then it spreads to our children and our grandchildren, future generations. Mm-hmm. By the way, I didn't say this, but I'm a grandpa now. Yeah, it's exciting I, stuff. I know you know that, but I'm just <laughs> kind of bragging a little bit. So yeah, my my um, my daughter gave birth to a 10 pound, 11 ounce baby boy a week early, just after Christmas. He's a huge delight. I love him to death. And it's just a really cool feeling to have this little guy there that sort of feels like mine, but sort of doesn't. And that I can enjoy, but don't really feel responsible for. (laughs) (laughs) And that, uh, you know, I I feel more competent in a certain way as a grandfather, because I remember when we first started having our kids, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. But it's a a cool uh, phase of life. And we're looking forward to meeting our second one in in June. But anyway, that's a tangent, but I, I couldn't yeah. help but throw that in. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Just as you were concluding there about God's law, the thought to, came to my mind about that secular family that's saying, well, we want to let our kids kind of 
figure out for themselves. When you actually know God's law and know how good it is, you don't want to waste the time of their lives trying to figure out, basically go down every wrong trail and then choose the the right trail last, right? Hey, you know, it's hard enough consistently living out God's laws when you know them. Mm-hmm. But when you don't even know what they are, you haven't even thought about these issues, you send your kid to a secular public school where seven hours a day they're being exposed subtly and not so subtly through words, through attitudes, through images to a godless worldview. And then you expect the youth pastor on a Friday night to sort that all out through a half an hour devotional. It's not going to happen. And this is why one of the best decisions, and I wouldn't have said this even 20 years ago, but one of the best decisions that parents can make these days, because the secular public system is so bad, not to say there aren't good people in it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I believe in the sovereignty of the family. So you're going to make your own decision. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into something. I'm just trying to speak wisdom to families. The best decision that you can make is spend whatever money you can spend to educate your children in a robustly Christian worldview. You are ultimately responsible. So whether Mm -hmm. that's going to a Christian school or going to a classical Christian school or homeschooling, uh, ultimately you're responsible. But when you take young impressionable kids and you throw them in a quote unquote secular school, I can guarantee you they're being poisoned every single day and you probably don't even know it. It's a very slow poisoning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more rapid depending on the, the, the personality of the child or the stage they're at. But you know what, Chris? Christians, I'll just speak to this issue a little bit. Christians seem to be so desperate for the affirmation of society. It's like, well, I have to send my kids there because they're going to get an accredited degree or they're going to get a certificate from so-and-so or such-and-such. Like, are those, I'm not opposed to licensure, measure of accreditation, people that have been vetted. I'd want a guy if he was performing heart surgery on me to have been thoroughly vetted, not you know, got his degree out of a Cracker Jack box. But there's a there's a lot of different ways to educate very good people who become extremely competent in their fields and their occupations and just become good thinkers. Because by the way, the, the goal of education is not just to get a job. Mm-hmm. It's to think more clearly, more biblically, more Christianly. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of ways, depending on your child and their tenacity and their stage and age and development and maturity, there's a lot of other ways to get a good education and be successful in life vocationally without necessarily subjecting yourself to some of the abject stupidity mm-hmm. that we see in a lot of these degrees in, in our, our universities. There's a place for universities. There's a place for new universities, new colleges. I would say even at our own university here locally, some of the degrees are a complete waste of time. They're literally taking you nowhere fast. Others of them are a bit more beefy and meaty and necessary. Again, medical school um, to to be immersed in the medical sciences and to learn all those skills over an extended period of time. I think we would all say that's a good idea rather than being homeschooled (laughs) in medicine. But there's a lot of the degrees that are offered in, in the arts and in other subjects that it just it's complete nonsense. Your kids are just being exposed to complete nonsense day in, day out. 
they're expensive and they don't necessarily even lead to a job at the end of the day. I mean, how many people do we have running around with advanced degrees that have either have no intention or no capacity to use them because they're ill-equipped? Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a bit of a, a rabbit trail, but I think it's worth saying. Mm -hmm. It's useful. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Now. We're grateful for Aaron being able to share this with us. We want to remind you that you can find this episode and other ones like it on the the app from the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. They have a great tool there that allows you to listen to quite a few other podcasts as well. So a good launch, launching space for uh, finding other things to listen to. We also want to make sure that you uh, check out Pastor Aaron's personal blog, pursuitofglory.org, where you'll find not only the podcast, but also articles that uh, Aaron has written over time. And we hope next week you will tune into another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.